Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. you turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, we're in the final chapter. We've made it, a year and a half journey through Luke's Gospel. Uh, We come to probably the key passage uh, in all of the Gospels as we find the reality of the resurrection. This would normally be an Easter message, but as I've shared with you over the last several weeks, this Passion Week series that we're doing, we could never do in a single week on Easter. And so it's actually been a blessing for me as your pastor to be able to share things that I probably wouldn't be able to share on any given Easter. So we've taken time to highlight this reality. And whether you think on it or not, on your salvation, the issue of it, if Jesus is not raised, then we also will not be raised with him, and therefore eternal salvation is a moot point in the life of the church. The reality of the resurrection is the proof that one day you also will be raised. Without it, there is no eternal kingdom. And so this one truth becomes really the central truth. If Jesus wasn't raised, he didn't provide the atonement for your sin. If Jesus wasn't raised, he hasn't provided eternal life. If Jesus wasn't raised, then he's not literally God's son. The reality of the resurrection matters to the church. Today, as we look at verses 1 through 12, as we continue to do here in this church, we study God's word chapter and verse, book by book. We journey through the entire Bible. And so we finally have made it to chapter 24 And as we look at these first 12 verses, would you pray with me? And we'll tackle the reality of the resurrection. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that that truth, that you are the resurrection and the life, and he who lives and breathes in you, though he or she shall die, yet he or she shall live. That truth is based on you, Jesus, being risen from the dead. And so, Lord, we give you our time, and we pray that our ears would be attentive unto your word, that your spirit would add life to the things that are spoken, and, God, that you would use this time for your kingdom purposes in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Luke 24, and now on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, very early in the morning, they... And certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. And so as we covered this last time, the final burial, the second one, the actual burial of Jesus is now going to take place. He's buried first by Joseph Arimathea, second by Nicodemus, and now Jesus is going to be wrapped. He's going to be wound. He's going to be bound in that sense. He's no longer underneath what we would call Uh, a sheet or a blanket or a covering, he is now going to be prepared uh, to lay in the grave from a human perspective uh, for as long as it would take for those bandages to dissipate due to natural circumstance. But they came, 
And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This is the central truth that Jesus Christ is different than every other founder of every other major world religion. He is alive. He's risen. You can go to the tomb of Muhammad. You can attempt to find the bones of Buddha. But you will find only an empty tomb in Jerusalem where Jesus once laid because he is alive. Amen? Amen. And remember how he spoke to you and he was still in Galilee saying the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men. And be crucified and on the third day rise again. Jesus was not ambiguous about what was going to happen. He told them clearly that he would be killed and clearly that he would be raised. And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, also the mother of Jesus. And the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now notice verse 11. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So much for the apostles' faith. So much for their listening ear. And again, of course, they eventually do get the message. But this gives you a sense of how perplexed they actually were. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping down. He saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You kind of notice something here? They actually didn't believe. They're they're still sitting there. It's like, "Mm, we're not really sure what happened. And to this day... The world tries to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. It is the one fact that continues to be attacked. It is the one thing that people haggle over to this day. Even the church, there are some in it. Whether they're true believers or not, I am not here to tell you. But there are people in the church that believe that Jesus was nothing more than perhaps the embodiment of the Christ ideal. Or maybe he had the spirit of Christ upon him, but he wasn't really God incarnate in human flesh, and he didn't really rise from the dead. That's just a myth. It's a fable, exactly what some of the disciples believed when the ladies came and spoke of these things. Very interesting book that you can all still get. It's available on Amazon. It's the testimony of the evangelist examined by the rules of evidence administered in the courts of justice. It was written in the mid-1800s by Simon Greenleaf, who would go on to be the principal founder of the Harvard School of Law. It is still used to this day when examining evidence of eyewitnesses. 
It is the treatise. This is how you treat eyewitness evidence. Here's why he actually embarked on this journey. He also did not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so he embarked on the journey of looking specifically at the Gospels to determine whether it was that the evidence they presented was reliable. How would you examine that evidence? And I encourage you, if you want to go to sleep at night, uh, grab this book and, and read it cover to cover. Or you can kind of skip through it and maybe pick up the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. But the truth of the matter is, no event in human history has been more questioned than the resurrection of Christ. It is the central thing in our world, especially in literature and the examination of literature and the testimony of witnesses. Nothing has been more contested than Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And in fact, there's a huge amount of extra biblical evidence. People always say, well, you know, you're just relying on the Bible. No, that's actually not true. It, of course, is true in the sense that the Bible declares very plainly Jesus was raised from the dead. But you have the epistle of Barnabas, the epistle of Clement, the shepherd of Hermes, Theophilus, Hippolytus, Origen, Quadratus, Irenaeus, Melito, Polycarp. You have all these first century historians that all went about recording portions of this particular narrative. And to a person, they recorded that the testimony of these four gospel authors was their true eyewitness account. That is a massive amount of evidence. And so as we look at the evidence that's before us in these 12 verses, even Christianity's opponents have yet to come up with some way to defeat the testimony of eyewitnesses. They've been unable to do it. And so that testimony to this day still stands. What makes this particular holiday that we call Easter different from all other holidays? You know, some people are still, you know, I'll get questioned, you know, if I have an Easter basket, am I going to hell? Um, if I have an Easter hunt, egg hunt on my lawn, will I perish eternally? You know, I get asked these questions all the time. The, the whole thought of, of the Easter bunny actually comes from Germany. It came uh, in the mid-17, early 1800s. They believed that there was a rabbit that actually would come and deposit colored eggs inside of your basket. So the reason you have Easter baskets is that there was this marvelous rabbit who could lay eggs. So if that's your deal, then... Praise the Lord for colorful eggs that come from rabbits that get deposited in baskets overnight. But that's not the story of Easter. Amen? It's not about peeps. And by the way, never attempt to roast those over an open campfire. They have sugar on the outside. They will stick to your lips and your lips will peel off. We have all kinds of things that we do in our society that have nothing to do with the reality of the resurrection. They are simply things that we've picked up from traditions of the wonderful multitude of tongues and tribes and nations that make up America. Many of them are German. Some of them are African. Some of them are Indian, as in from India. But what is the resurrection actually about? That's the question. It's about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was declared God's own son, worshipped by the Jewish people, actually brought into Jerusalem, hailed as king, 
who died on Calvary's cross, an actual death, and was raised three days later and lives forevermore, sits at the right hand of God the Father. That's the truth of Easter. Because Jesus rose, so you also will be raised. And we always quote John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That is the truth, by the way. It's one of the great I am statements. But you know what precedes that? Jesus saying this, verse 1, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me also. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Check this out. Verse 4 precedes verse 6. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Who's the way? He would tell them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He was going to do something that had never been done before. Matthew 28, and after the Sabbath on the first day of the week, this is the the end of the journey. Verse 7, these ladies go, the angel gives them word. Go and tell the disciples quickly that he is risen from the dead. He is indeed going before you into Galilee and there you will see him. Not there you're going to get a vision. Not there you're going to have an apparition. Not there you're going to hallucinate because it's really hot certain times of the year in the Jordan River Valley. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. That was the message of the angel. You will see him. Something is very simple in all of this. Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't a mystery. Jesus had been speaking about it for almost three years. He had reminded people constantly, frequently and often... I'm going to give my life a ransom for many. But I won't stay dead. I will fulfill what Psalm 16 said. David writing, Sheol will not hold him. The abode of the dead will not be his final uh, destiny. But the truth of the matter is, is that when Jesus was raised, he had a different body. And some of the disciples, though they saw him, didn't immediately recognize who he was. Paul writes of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by the way. And so, how did God the Father do this? This is the part that stumps people. And I want to just speak to this issue very briefly and very concisely. How many of you saw the Big Bang? Hmm. How many of you saw any of the creation narrative happen? You see, the fact of the matter is, none of us have seen a lot of things that we absolutely believe are truth. 
If you look at the world, people without Christ generally believe that the universe started with a ball of matter, the entire universe contained in what's called the singularity, this basketball-sized hunk of matter that no one explains how it actually came to pass, existed in millennia past, actually some 13.7 billion years ago, and something happened, and that thing exploded, and the explosion created all of the order that you see in the universe. Any of you been following what's going on in Israel? Have you seen an explosion create order? It creates disorder. It takes people's lives. And yet, the theory that people choose to believe is that a basketball-sized hunk of matter, so dense that it would have sucked in the rest of the universe had there been anything next to it, exploded and created all of the order that we see, the galaxies, star systems, nebula, our own solar system, and our planet was created out of chaos. We believe that without even batting an eye. You see, actually, you don't have proof for a massive number of things that you believe. Most of you believe you're not going to die if you open a can of beans that you got from the store, right? How many of you, are there any virologists here in the, I didn't think so. So when you open that can of beans, you take for granted that a bunch of scientists actually did their job. The FDA does its job. Our government does its job. We believe all kinds of things without proof. So why do people disbelieve this? Because it makes you come to a conclusion that Jesus is very different than the founder of any other religion. Amen? That's why. It's not because we don't believe in miraculous things or things we don't see, can't understand, and can't repeat. The scientific method is essentially this. It has to be observable. It has to be documented and it has to be repeatable. So when you do an experiment, you've got to take all the information and you need to be able to examine it, document it, and repeat it. You've got to come with the same result. You can't do that with creation. And you can't do that with the resurrection either. Why? Because God employed something he's never employed before. God did something God has never done before. So how did he do it? Well, we know six things that didn't happen. And again, I want to cover this so that you can just simply get your minds whirling and thinking. Not a ghost. Because Jesus refuted that by showing him his hands, eating with them, hanging out with them, talking to them, walking with them. He was not a ghost. He was actually touchable. He also was not resuscitated. Think about this for a second. One of the things, well, they just stole the body. Can you imagine? Now, we know what happened to Jesus. He was nearly beaten to death. Amen? Then he was nailed on a cross. Then a Roman soldier stuck a spear in his side that caused, eyewitness account, blood and water to pour out of his chest cavity. He hung on that cross for a minimum of six hours. He's now been wrapped in a grave cloth wound and bound, can you imagine even if somehow Jesus, you know, he had a Leatherman inside of his hands when he got wrapped 
and he could cut himself free. Where is a nearly dead man going to go? How far is he going to run? You see, these arguments that are thrown at us are just nonsensical. Why? Because you have eyewitnesses to the events. People that would go on to lose their life for refusing to change their narrative. No, I don't care how much you beat me. I don't care how much you trash my life. I don't care what you do to me. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. They died for that testimony. That's pretty strong evidence that they actually believed it. Amen? What about reincarnation? Well, reincarnation is an interesting thing. Because it gives you something other than a mortal body. You would come back as something different. But Jesus came back as Jesus. So much so that he could go, hey Thomas, check this out. He showed his hands, his feet. He wasn't reincarnated, he was Jesus. He wasn't enlightened. He didn't lose his individual personality. A Buddhist basically believes that if you really get to the end of this eightfold path, that you'll be absorbed into the cosmic oneness. You'll be part of this great thing. Jesus was still Jesus. And he's still Jesus right now. So he wasn't just enlightened. He didn't all of a sudden gain some new knowledge he didn't have before. And he definitely wasn't translated. Moses and Elijah were translated. They went to heaven. Where did Jesus come back to? He came back to earth. So he wasn't just taken directly to heaven. He came from Hades back to earth. He didn't go from earth to heaven. That would be translation. Where did this evidence come from? It came from people who saw it. People who witnessed it. People who ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and gave their lives for the fact that they testified of these events. It's mind-boggling. One person do that, maybe. Two person, maybe. Half a dozen really tight group of people that come up with some type of, well, you know, we just got to follow this to the end. We're all going to die, but, you know, let's go out in a blaze of glory. That's nuts. Ultimately, especially during the first century, you're talking possibly as many as two to five million people at the hands of the Roman government for speaking the name of Jesus, refusing to stop talking about this Jesus guy, gave up their life. This is the reality of the resurrection. And I don't know why Christians dodge it. I've listened to Christians who claim to be saved. Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, we don't really know. No, Jesus is alive. I do know. I have no doubt Jesus is alive. Matter of fact, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing this. Amen? Seriously, I've got nothing to share with you. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, nothing I have ever said means anything to anyone. If he's just another dude that died at the hands of the Romans, or if he was just a good guy who said some fluffy things, well, love your neighbor. Every Buddhist in the world believes that, by the way. Right? Think about it. 
Most of us would like to say we love our neighbor, but Jesus loved his neighbor unto death and then was raised from the grave to prove that love. Very different than what we see in the lives of other people. There's only real five. I've come up with five. There may be more, but I think there are five. And by the way, I have seen a Discovery Channel, Nat Geo, CBS, ABC, somebody has done a, some type of expose on why the Bible isn't true with all five of these things, including the first one, which is the real one, and that is it really happened. So were the apostles deceived by a massive hallucination? For those of you that know anything about hallucinations, they're not transferable. It's like, hey, I'm having a hallucination. Want to come over and have it with me? Did you see the hallucination too? Oh, yeah, I got the hallucination as well. There's no such thing in that sense as people all having the same mass hallucination when the mass hallucination is going to get you killed. Couldn't happen. How about the apostles creating a myth? Here's the problem with the myth. Myths take time to develop. They do not happen overnight. In fact, the length of time from the actual events of the life of the person who is being made into a myth, so if it's like Hercules... Someone like that, you can't make up a myth about somebody who died last week. These myths all appeared within a year of Jesus dying and being raised from the dead. That's not a myth. How about the apostles were deceivers? To what end? I'm going to tell a lie that I'm going to keep the rest of my days so that someone will brutally murder me. Now, I know we've studied this a lot, and we know that some of the disciples were not the sharpest tools in the shed, but I don't think they were that dull either. Well, let's just try and deceive everyone. You see, deception requires that you tell the same story over and over again, and no one ever rat you out. This is why being a junior high camp counselor is so much fun. Because one kid, oh, I didn't light it on fire. The next kid will come along, oh, I didn't light it on fire. The third kid, I saw him light it on fire. (laughs) That's how long deception lasts when someone is going home. Now imagine that you're going to die. That deception is going to end like right now. It's over. Or how about Jesus wasn't quite dead? This is actually my favorite. Jesus wasn't quite dead. He swooned, he fainted, he had some issues, you know, he went into a catatonic state of some kind. Now, why is that so much of a problem for us? Because number one, he was put to death by actual executioners whose job it was to kill people. And in fact, their own lives hinged on the fact that their subjects were dead. You you didn't fail as a Roman executioner. It wasn't a possibility. Furthermore, so you have the fact that the Romans definitely wanted to make sure that's why Jesus got a spear in the side. But if you remember, the Gospels all record they didn't break his legs. You know why that is? He was already dead. 
The only reason that they would go on to finish this process by breaking the victim's legs is so they could no longer gain enough lift to have respiration. And so here you have this whole scene that just plays out in front of all these witnesses. And you're you're seeing people who knew Jesus personally watch a Roman guard stick a spear in the side of Jesus. And they record it. You have Roman executioners who absolutely want to finish the job or they themselves' lives may be forfeit. These are important pieces of information from eyewitnesses to the events. How about the Jewish people? Do you think if Jesus had been running around kind of maimed and mangled somewhere that Caiaphas, Annas, and the Sanhedrin wouldn't have come after him and finished the job? They would have finished the job. And then there's the disciples themselves. Of what good would it have been for them to say that Jesus was raised from the dead when he wasn't raised from the dead? He just fainted because that makes him not the Messiah. He didn't give his life a ransom for many if he didn't die. You see, when you look at the evidence, we as a church need to stand on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. The dead. Not the kind of sort of dead. Not like in the Princess Bride. Well, I think he's mostly dead. Jesus was dead. Buried. Embalmed in that sense. Wrapped in grave clothes. Stuck together with aloe and spices. And stuck in a tomb and a stone that probably weighed in excess of a ton, ton and a half, rolled in front of the door, and a bunch of ladies didn't come by and push it out of the way. Why do I say all that? Because it requires that we fairly at least answer these things. Jesus wasn't a Martian. That's, That's the new one. That's all happened in the last century. Jesus was an alien. And he just got in a saucer and he went back. You know, there are, there are thousands and thousands of people that actually believe that the pyramids were built by aliens instead of slaves. People will believe anything when they don't believe the truth. When you don't believe the truth, then any lie works. And so if you don't want to believe the truth, it's really easy to just skip over the fact, well, you know what? We really haven't ever seen any aliens. We've been searching for 50 years. We have a project called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, that your tax dollars have paid for. We have spent over $100 billion of your tax money looking for aliens. You know how many we found? Uh, Zero. You know how many habitable planets we found? Uh, same answer, zero. Do you know how many planets we've even found that are capable of having life on them? Again, answer, zero. And we have looked out into billions and billions of miles of infinite space and found zip. Church, Jesus Christ, God's own son, died on Calvary's cross and was raised from the dead. And the proof is 
Some of it's in this room. Some of it's right here. Never existed. That's nuts. Jesus being a fairy tale, which, by the way, is in our passage. It was a fable. Not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. I can give you a a myth that's held today in the Catholic Church. It's found in the Gospel of Peter, the so-called Gospel of Peter. And in that account, what happens at the end is two men come and their heads reach up into the cloud. And then a talking cross walks out of the tomb and the cross talks to everybody. That's a myth. That's false. If you want to deify the cross itself, that works. If you want to deify Mary and say she was translated directly to heaven, that works. But if you want the truth, nobody died for that message. Nobody walked around, yep, I saw a talking cross. Church, Jesus died for you. He died for you. And he is alive for you right now. The swoon didn't happen. Jesus couldn't have survived the crucifixion. There's not a chance in this world. And if you look at all the things that happened to him when he died, there's so much evidence there. We would look at it today and go, there's not a chance Jesus survived that. And yet people persist in saying, well, maybe he survived. Or someone stole his body. To what end? What's the motivation? You think the disciples would have gotten away with it? They couldn't tie their shoes at this time. They couldn't wrap their own sandals on their feet. Read the Gospels. We've been studying that, right? What happens every time the disciples get involved in something? Doesn't exactly go well, does it? God's gracious to show us the faults of the apostles and the disciples so we don't worship the apostles and the disciples. We don't venerate them. Why? Because they were men of like passions as we are. Their whole story is fraught with failure. That is a sign this is eyewitness testimony. You think John would have declared about himself, well, you know, I was a failure. What person writes their own autobiography And includes all the faults that you find for the apostles. Now you might have one bad chapter in there or something. But it's simply not going to happen. And so the story that we have contained in our Bibles is what it says it is. It's not a mass hallucination. And it is absolutely someone who believes the story that they have written. These witnesses were totally qualified. I hate to tell you this, hallucinations last minutes at most, usually, and they're not transferable. I, I can't go, you know, hey, join me in my hallucination. Why is that important? Because you start narrowing down what exactly happened. Amen? What exactly happened? Exactly what the Bible says happened. Exactly what the Bible said happened. It wasn't some kind of myth. The myth theory always has two layers. There's always a real part of it. 
someone who is a figure who is then made into a myth. Doesn't happen with Jesus. Everything about Jesus, start to finish, shows the miraculous. Can you imagine all the people who were at that Mount of Beatitudes when Jesus speaks a Sermon on the Mount who sat there when the little servant boy brought out his lunch, the loaves and the fish, and they fed 10,000 people plus children and women, probably twenty to 25,000, a whole stadium full of people. Can you imagine trying to tell those people, oh, it wasn't real? Didn't happen. Or the widow at Nain's son. Well, he's actually a zombie. You see, none of it would make any sense because the people who experienced it were still alive when these words were written. You can't tell somebody they didn't see what they saw when they're still there and they saw it. It isn't a myth to them. It's a reality to them. So what happened? What actually happened? Well, history isn't exact science. But it's exact enough. Amen? How many of you uh, were around when the founders were here in our country? Nobody? Do you know how you know their stories? Written evidence of eyewitnesses. We have almost no evidence. There's very little literary evidence of the life of George Washington. But you all have no problem believing he crossed the Delaware. Amen? I believe that most of you believe that Caesar crossed the Rubicon. I think all of you believe that Martin Luther wrote his 95 Thesis. I think you guys believe all kinds of things based on the testimony of ancient documents. Now take the one event in all of human history that has the most evidence of any ancient event and the most documentary evidence of any ancient event, why would you not believe that it is what it says it is when there are 22,000 pieces of written documentary evidence about the life, death, birth, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? From both biblical sources and extra-biblical sources. You only have two documents that talk about you know, Hannibal taking his elephants and crossing over the Alps and conquering parts of Europe. You have less than that about Marco Polo, and yet we teach Marco Polo in our schools, amen? Makes this journey and travels across Asia, comes all the way to Europe. We believe all those things. You know what I believe? Jesus is alive. That's what I believe. Was it a miracle? Yes, absolutely it was a miracle. All kinds of miraculous things happen every day. I, I, I don't have to abandon science, and I don't have to abandon the scientific method to believe in miracles. I just believe that the God of miracles who created the laws of science has the right and the capability to broach his own laws. I have no problem with that. I can't explain to you how we got here, but I can tell you however that was, Somebody outside of space and time is the only one that can know that. So I believe in supernatural things. People go, well, you're just an idiot. 
Well, that's without it, you know. Okay, I'm an idiot. I don't care. Call me what you want. But I'm an idiot that's going to heaven. Amen? Because I got no problem that believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. It doesn't affect my ability to rationalize scientific things. Matter of fact, I actually enjoy the study of science. And most of you who've been here a while know that. Sometimes I bore you with scientific details. Why? Because I like science. I believe in the laws of physics. I think Newton was right. I believe in the laws of thermodynamics. I believe all things are tending towards decay, and I believe that my body is an example of that. It's not getting better, folks. One day it's going to snuff out just like that. But I believe in miracles. My Savior lives forever. Amen? What does the evidence actually point us to? Well, it points us towards a risen Savior. That's what it points us to. And I don't have a problem believing that. I I believe that he is risen. Just as much as I believe tomorrow the sun is going to come up. I believe the sun's going to come up, don't you? Do you have any idea why the sun comes up? Do you have any idea what keeps this planet spinning on its axis? Most of us do not. There may be a few in this room who do. Do you have any idea the gravitational forces that exist in what's called dark matter? That we can't explain why the missing mass of the universe, because the universe is largely empty space, why it has sufficient mass to hold star systems, galaxies, star clusters, nebula, things that have very little mass in them, why they don't crash into each other. We don't know. But when we look up in the sky, we believe it. I believe he has risen. And he has risen indeed. And by putting your faith and hope and trust in him, we shall also be raised with him. Amen? Amen. That is the truth of the gospel message. And I pray you are not ambiguous with it. Be bold with that truth. I believe Jesus was risen from the dead and lives forevermore. Don't dance around that issue. When people ask you wherein your hope lies, it lies in the king of heaven who is raised from the dead for the remission of my sin. Because if he's not raised, the price isn't paid. But if he is raised, the price for my salvation was paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. He had to be raised to do that. And he was. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and we'll pray. If you're here today and you don't know the risen Savior, don't miss the opportunity right now to do that. Don't miss the opportunity to give your life to Christ. He died for you. He died in your place. He took your sin. And he went to Calvary's cross, died there on that cross so that you could be set free from the penalty of your sin, which is death and damnation. He wants to give you eternal life. If you're watching online, Whether you're here in this room, uh, we have a prayer team in the prayer room that would love to pray with you after service. We have the opportunity to offer you an opportunity to know Jesus. For the rest of us, this is the central truth 
of our Christian experience. Without it, there's no such thing as a Christian. Without it, we're not going to heaven. Without it, our sins remain. But because it's true, my sins are forgiven. I I am white as snow before a perfect God who dwells in heaven because of the blood of Jesus and that he was risen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray. Lord, right now we ask by the Holy Spirit that you would impress upon any person in this room right now that does not yet know you. They haven't placed their faith, their hope, and trust in you, Jesus. They've not asked you to be their Savior and Lord. They've not invited you to come in and sup with them. And so, Lord, we pray right now in the quietness of their heart that they would say yes to your offer of grace. Those of you that might be thinking this is your time, simply ask these things, Lord Jesus. I confess that I'm a sinner and I recognize I can't save myself. And I'm asking you to save me. I'm placing my trust, my faith, my hope, my eternity in your hands. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. And because I believe that, that you're God's own son, only son, that I will be saved. For those of us who know you, Lord, we again reaffirm that truth. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And we know that he is with us, whatever men may say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.